So 1 Samuel <clears throat> chapter 5. You know, there's a, a story that I heard one time. Uh, it was years ago. It was um, in California and I was living there. It's a story of this, this young man. He was in high school. He was excited about God. He was pretty, pretty bold. He was in, in biology class. And, and he's sitting there and all of his friends are there. And the class is full. There's 30, 40 kids there. And the teacher begins to talk about evolution, talk about how, how the world just came to be and how we came from fish and this and that. And, and he raised his hand and he goes, teach, I, I don't agree with that. I don't agree with what you're teaching. Well, he goes, well, what do you believe then? He goes, I believe that, that God created everything. I believe that God spoke into existence. And this teacher, biologist, began to laugh at him in front of the class. And the class began to laugh. And, and he, he asked the kid to come on up. He goes, come on up here. So the kid gets up in front of class and walks all the way to the front. And uh, part of the message that day or the teaching, the lesson, the, the teacher had an egg. <clears throat> and he goes, all right, I'm going to get this egg and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drop it on the count of three. And on the count of three, it's going to hit the ground and it's going to break. I want you to pray to your God that when it drops and it hits, that it doesn't break. And the kid began to feel intimidated because the kids are, are looking at him. The teacher's challenging him because he's being bold. He's saying, God, just, I'm standing up for you. And so the teacher goes, one, two. And the kid stops and he goes, hold on, hold on, teach, hold on. I'm praying right now. And I, I changed my prayer. And he goes, okay. He goes, what's your prayer? He goes, well, well, I changed my prayer. And I said, God, on the count of three, when that biology teacher drops that egg, I pray, God, that you would drop him dead right where he stands. And he goes, one, two. And the teacher goes, hold on, stop, stop. Go sit down. Go over there. And I love that story because he prayed for boldness. And in the midst of that, I, I have to believe that this teacher deep down knew that God was powerful. You know, oftentimes we, we know people who don't believe in God or don't want to believe in God. And I think, man, how many times do we not believe in God because it's convenient? Because it, it interferes with our lifestyle, how we want to live, what we want to do. You know, I, I had a professor in college who, who told me, you believe that Hitler really wanted to wake up one morning and say, okay, there is a God. I submit to you. I'll give up my power. I'll give up everything. People in leadership who are making millions corruptly and, and doing things, you think they want to wake up and say, you know what, I haven't been doing it right. And so as we stand here and we get to share, I get to share 1 Samuel chapter 5. I believe it's, it's, it's a cool example of God's power. It says this, verse 1 through 5 in 1 Samuel chapter 5, it goes, when the Philistines captured the ark of God, <clears throat> they brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. Then the Philistines took the ark of God and brought it into the house of Dagon and set it beside Dagon. And when the people of Ashdod rose early the next day, <clears throat> behold, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the ark of the Lord. So they took Dagon and put him in his place. But when they rose early the next morning, behold, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the ark of the Lord. And the head of Dagon... And both his hands were lying cut off of the threshold. Only the trunk of Dagon was left to him. This is why the priests of Dagon, on all who enter the house of Dagon, do not tread on the threshold of Dagon in Ashdod to this day. <clears throat> so that's 1 Samuel chapter 5, first five verses. If we go back and... Uh, in verse or chapter two, we basically see Hannah's prayer. You remember that? You, you see the prayer of Hannah. And in chapter three, it basically talks about um, 
the Lord calling Samuel. You know, the Lord calls Samuel, wakes him up. He gets up. He goes, yes, you called. He goes, no, go back to bed. So we hear that story. In chapter 3, there's a grand battle of, of the, the Philistines in the ark. And, and they, they battle it out. And, and in Scripture, it says that they fought and 30,000 <clears throat> foot soldiers of Israel had died. Man, this is like Braveheart. If you've watched Braveheart, that was nothing. That's probably like 1,000. Imagine 30,000 just being slaughtered and killed. And the Ark of the Covenant is taken. And the Philistines are excited. And they take possession of it. And now we read this passage. The Philistines had captured the Ark. They had brought the house, the Ark to the house of this God named Dagon. I got a picture of, of this God that they, they believe this is what he looked like right there. So imagine that statue. Half fish, half man. Kind of like a merman right? <clears throat> Powerful God right there, right? Rose in the morning, and it's a very strange sight because they see Dagon had fallen face first. It's interesting that the Bible points out that he fell face first and not to the side, but forward towards the ark. They, st- they set him up, maybe thinking, okay, well, this is an accident. Next day, what happens? He's face forward again, this time with his head and his arms cut off. You know, I think this is where you get, who broke the Dagon? Uh, cup. No, it's not. It's not. Trust me. Um, but it's this image of, of this, this false God going forward and breaking. You know, it's interesting. In Judges chapter 16, verse 23 and 24, we hear about this. It says, Now the rulers of the Philistines assembled to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and to celebrate, saying, Our God has delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hands. When the people saw him, They praised their God, saying, Our God has delivered our enemy into our hands. The one who laid waste our land and multiplied our slain. So here the people, everyone at this time had celebrated this God. It wasn't just a little God. It was was a pretty major God of the Philistines, a false God. The Philistines, here he is, half man, half, half fish, had fallen forward. And it's interesting because... Because if you, if you look at this, the head represents wisdom. The, arms, the hands represent strength, instrument of action, right? I'm sure during battle they use their hands. They use their head and wisdom. How do I best approach this? And God would, would get his glory by, by having this false God fall face forward. And basically what he showed was that this God had neither wisdom or strength. I think it's pretty powerful when you, when you look at that. How often we, we maybe think, oh, man, I've got wisdom. I've got this strength and that I know. Okay, God, I, I get what you're trying to do, but, but I'll give you all this area of my life, but let me keep a hold of my finances. I understand finances. I'm wise. Or, God, I'm going to give you everything, but, but give me my, my marriage. I, I'm in charge of my marriage. Or, God, I'll give you everything, but, but Sundays, uh, that's, that's my day to relax. That's my day to rest because I work all week. Or, God, I'll give you this, but I'll keep this. And in our own minds, we have this wisdom and we have this strength that we, we believe we possess. And, and here God is showing us, man, there is no wisdom or strength that you can possess that can supersede my wisdom and my strength. And so God in his power, he does this. I think of my life and how often I've thought, man, God, I, I got this. I'm wise. I've done this before. And God has to humble me. He has to humble me. And after seeing what God has done... He did, or what they did was respond in a a certain way. 
he goes, they responded by making a religious tradition. Tradition it says, therefore, neither the priest of Dagon nor anyone who comes into Dagon's house tread on the threshold of Dagon in Ashdod to this day. It's superstitious. So rather than saying, okay, God, obviously you're at work here because it said they were afraid, you know. So obviously they're not thinking, man, the door must have been open. The wind must have come in. It must have fallen. It probably wasn't a light statue. You could imagine it was probably heavy. Maybe it took many guys. Probably wasn't one of these little Buddha dolls that some people possess and they just put on their house. It wasn't that. And so they knew something had happened, something supernatural. So rather than just saying, okay, God, you're, you're in control. You got it. No. They said, okay, we're going to create a, a tradition. We're not going to go into this Dagon's house and tread on the threshold. They were consumed with their God. See, my desire, and, and I pray all of our desire, is to change every day, every week. And so God here is, is, has just spoken, and now, God, we're going to see him speak a second time. A little harsher. How many of you have kids here? Okay, you know when you say, put that down, and they don't do it, they look at you, and they're like, I'm going to challenge you. And they walk away. Your second time isn't, please, please put it down. It's, hey, I said put it down. Oh, man, what happens when you get to that third time, right? But we're going to see here God speaking a little harsher. You guys, really? That's what, that's what, Sheldon, we need to talk. But here in in, in chapter 5, verse 6 through 9, it says this. The hand of the Lord was heavy against the people of Ashdod, and and he terrified and afflicted them with tumors. Both Ashdod and its territory. And when the men of Ashdod saw how things were, they said, The ark of God of Israel is not, must not remain with us. For his hand is hard against us and against Dagon, our God. So they sent and gathered together all the lords of the Philistines and said, What shall we do with the ark of the God of Israel? They answered, Let the ark of the God of Israel be brought around to Gath. So they brought the ark of God of Israel there. So finally they're like, okay, something's going on. We cannot have this ark here. Obviously God is in this. I'm not going to repent. I'm not going to say, God, I'm sorry. I'm not going to just ask for forgiveness. Instead, we're going to get rid of this thing. Almost like out of sight, out of mind. Okay, God, if we get rid of it, we get rid of you. You obviously are not powerful enough to, to discipline us and to correct us and to bring justice, judgment on us because the ark isn't here. That was their mindset. And so the Lord hand, it says, was heavy on the people of Ashdod and struck them with tumors. It must not remain here, they said. Let's take it to Gath. How many remember Gath in the Bible? It's a little city. It's a couple of years, a little city that we hear about. It's in chapter 17. Later on, we hear about Gath. It said a champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits. And six and a, six cubits and a span, which is roughly nine feet nine inches, so a couple inches shorter than me. But here he is, right? Gath. Hey, let's send it to Gath. Let's get rid of this this ark. Let's, let's get rid of it. And so we hear about this city, and inside, as we look at this, God had tried to speak to them, and they wouldn't listen. Man, how often does God speak to us in our lives? Hey, go do this. Go do that. Be obedient. And we, we say, no, no, I've got more wisdom. I've got more strength, God. I can do it. 
And then God has to speak a second time. I was just speaking at Bible, men's Bible study this week. We, we talked to one, um, one of the guys there who has a friend in uh, part of Colorado who, who just got in a bad accident and he's deteriorating. And he says, man, he's just, God has just hopefully going to just speak to him. And, and we're praying for him because his lifestyle is not what God wants. He's completely rejected everything. And I think, man, how many times did God say, I'm, I'm try- I love you. I'm trying to reach you. How many times did God bring someone in the church or someone at work to say, hey, God has a plan for your life. How many times did God send someone? Now he's at this point. We're praying, saying, God, would you, would you heal this guy? Would you tell him about your love? Would you have him, his heart just be soft to hear what you have? And so here they get rid of this. God had warned them. He had, he had caused this false God to break. And it's believed from the original text, as we read, that actually God sent rats to this whole territory. You know, some people freak out because there's one rat. But I'm assuming when God sends rats, it's, it's, it's a plague. It infests everything. Older commentaries often describe them as hemorrhoids, these tumors as hemorrhoids. Newer commentaries talk about uh, and describe them as kind of like the bubonic plague. Whatever the situation was, it was bad. So God had not only caused his statue to fall, kind of that first voice of, hey, I'm the real God. I'm the true God. But he brings plagues. Man, he has to speak a second time. And he, when God speaks that way, it's, it wasn't enjoyable. So he tried to, he tried to get rid of this ark, send it to Gath. And one day, so they get rid of it. And it's funny how we, we try to often get rid of it. And we, 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 we try to get rid of the problem. Here are these people, I think, man, they knew that God was real. They knew that God had done something. But they said, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. You know, years ago, I remember going, when I had finished college, me and my brother went backpacking. I love the outdoors. I love backpacking. I love camping. Um, it's just fun. Um, but we had gone from our hometown in, in Merced, which is elevation of zero, to 11,000 feet within six hours. Now, if you know anything about altitude sickness, going from zero to 11,000 in about six hours, <clears throat> you begin to feel nauseous, you begin to feel lightheaded, you begin to have a headache, and you begin to want to throw up. We're hiking, and he's telling me, hey, how you feeling? I'm like, good. And really, I'm like over here, like dry heaving. You know, it was a guy thing I didn't want to let on that I was feeling sick. And then I just wanted my mom, and I was crying, you know, all that. I didn't want him to know that. But we get to camp, and, and, and we're both like, yeah, this, this is a good spot to camp. And we're both probably both thinking, yeah, I, I can't go any further. But if you know anything about altitude sickness, the two things you have to do is eat food and drink water. And the two things that your body absolutely does not want to do, that you do not want to do, is drink water and eat food. And so I didn't. I listened to my flesh, even though my mind and my heart, and I said, I know what I have to do to feel better. I know that if I do this, I will feel better. But instead, I, I, I passed out on a log right there. I was like, I'm just going to take a break. And I was out for like two hours on a log, like off to the side. And I think about how, how my heart knew what I had to do. But I wouldn't allow myself to do it because I would listen to my flesh. And I think about these Philistines, how often, man, how God would warn them and say, I'm the real God. I'm the true God. This is a false God. Look what I could do. Boom. Broken. Done. Tumors. Look, listen. And these people, these Philistines were saying, maybe I know. I know God's real. But you know what? I'm I'm not going to do it. Man, how often do we do that in our lives where we say, God, I know what you want. 
Just not going to do it. So God speaks a third time. Again, parents, you know, you're speaking a third time to your kid. What happens? You begin to maybe raise your voice, get a little more firm. And so God here, as the ark is being shuttled to Gath, and if you think about it, and you've heard, you've gotten a phone call from these people, and and they're like, hey, man, we're bringing this um, ark to Gath. Uh, this is what's happened so far. And you hang up the phone. You're like, oh, great. I don't want this thing here. Look what just happened. I love my face. I don't want tumors. Man, it's not a tumor, you know? <clears throat> and in verse 9, he goes, But after they had brought it around, the hand of the Lord was against the city, Gath, causing a very great panic. And he afflicted the men of the city, <clears throat> both young and old, so that tumors broke out on them. As I read that, I thought, man, that's, that's interesting that God's speaking harsher and he's giving them, it seems like it's progressing and all we see is he gave them tumors again. And I'm thinking, they've already got tumors. And as I kept reading, I, I kind of, stu- I, I studied that and I saw that in the Hebrew, it reads that God struck them with tumors in the groin. Not making that up. That's the word. And you're thinking, man, God, you really know how to get the attention of some guys, right? You really know how to get the attention. And you think maybe someone would say, man, God, that's pretty harsh. Like, why would you do that? And I asked myself that. I said, God, why would you cause that to happen? Why would you do that? And I think about this and I'm like, man, even in that, even with God striking them with tumors over and over in, in many areas, in many ways, and, and even to that point, I would say, man, even at that point, they would have that opportunity to repent. Even with God's mercy, they would have the opportunity to say, God, I'm sorry. Yeah, God could have sent fire, pfft, done, dead, eternity, separated from God. But even in that, God would have mercy and say, I'm giving you chances. Do you not, do you not get it? Man, he struck them with tumors. He struck them, the men in the city, the people with tumors, great and small, it says. It would be harsher. These Philistines, though, they hated God. And so as we read here in in verse 10 through 11, it continues. It says, so they sent the ark of God to Akron. It was kind of like hot potato at this point, right? You guys played hot potato, you know, you, you know, you get stuck with it, you lose. It's kind of like, let's get it here. Okay, no, that's not working. We're getting tumors. We're, we're kind of not feeling it right here. Let's send it to Gath. Okay. They obviously got struck with Gath. Who wants it? Let's flip a coin. All right. Uh, Akron, you're the lucky city that gets it next. They're passing this thing around. But as soon as the ark of God came to Akron, the people of Akron cried out, They have brought around to us the ark of God of Israel to kill us and our people. They sent, therefore, and gathered together all the lords of the Philistines and said, Send away the ark of God of Israel and let it return to its own place, that it may not kill us and our people. For there was a deathly panic throughout the whole city. The hand of God was very heavy there. The men who did not die were struck with tumors. And the cry of the city went up to heavens. So here we see that that men were dying now. Again, opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. 
people were saying, no, let, let's not give this ark back. Let's not do the right thing. Let's not submit and say, God, you're it. Let's just toss it off to another city. So the ark goes to Akron and they cry out. They brought the ark of God to Israel to us to kill us and our people. You know, here, God was being glorified. These people were not submitting. They were not listening to God. And yet God would still be glorified. You know, throughout this entire chapter, God, God speaks and shows his power. God speaks and shows his power to, to, to these people. And I think about that, man. I think, man, God, I, I've seen you, you do powerful things in my life. Not only overseas. Yeah, I've been overseas. I've been to South America. I've been to Central America. I've been to Asia. Um, I've been to different countries there. But here in the USA, I've seen God do amazing things. Here in the valley that we live in, I've seen God do powerful things. I've had people who, who, who've been addicted to so many things come and say, man, I just need God. I remember one morning I, I had the opportunity to just pray with, with uh, at Sunday school, this girl who said, this is my life. And she listed off her life. I thought, man, that is a Jerry Springer show. And, 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 and she's like, I just want to, I want to accept God in my life. And we prayed and, and I said, hey, this is what salvation is. This is what the Bible talks about. Man, it's a gift. We can receive salvation. She goes, okay, yeah, I'll do it. And to this day, uh, we saw her and she's like, I'm still serving God. I'm, I'm leading my friends to, to, to Christ. I'm, 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 I'm sharing the good news of Christ, the gospel. And this is a girl that, man, she is like, she's the girl that will say things. You're like, ooh, is that appropriate? She just doesn't care. She's in the middle of class. She's like, I don't believe that. I believe God created everything and teach. I'm sorry, but you're going to go to hell if you don't accept Christ in your life. And people are like, whoa, it's pretty bold. This is that girl. Now, you don't have to be that way. Some of us aren't wired to be bold and, and to do that, to, to be able to just tell everyone, hey, you're, you know, our co-worker. Don't show up to work on Monday and say, hey, boss, I just want to tell you, you're probably going to go to hell if you don't accept Christ. You know, don't do that. But how you live your life, how you treat your coworkers, how you, how you conduct yourself there, man, that's everything. And having that opportunity to share Christ with them. You know, it's God's power is, is, is all over the book, the Bible, and all over through Genesis. And as we've been reading Genesis, we see just God's power throughout. And I think about that. I say, God, okay, so I know you're powerful. What's my response? What do you, what do you want from me? And I think, man, our, our church, we, there's people in our valley. There's people in our city in Eagle and Gypsum that don't know Christ. God, how do, we, how do we connect with them? How do you want me to just connect with them? You know, I was a I was a pastor for <clears throat> years. A lot of you know I've known you guys for years. Uh, a pastor at Calvary, and was there, and and I would be able to, to to share Christ, and I would tell people about the Lord, and I would be able to 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 do that, and and people would at times tell me, well, yeah, but you're on staff. It's easy for you to do that. You go to Bible study because you're on staff. You kind of have to. You go to Sunday mornings because you have to. You you actually serve in the mornings because you have to. And I'm like, no, I just do it. I enjoy it. I, I, I want to, man, my, my thought was when I go there is, man, what's a, what's a visitor for the first time going to think when they walk into my church? And now I'm not on staff. I'm working like you guys 40 
plus hours a week. I'm, I'm, I got a family. I got three girls. Um, I need a boy. Um, I got girls. I got a wife. I've got my own time that I want to be able to, to just relax and go hunt or do, do something. I got time with my wife. We, we read. We, we pray together. We're able to, I'm, I'm busy. And yet I, I ask myself, Lord, man, it's, it's about eternity. You know, Cameron got back from the retreat and she goes, man, it was a good message. He talked about just having that eternal perspective. That, that this life of 80 years or 90 years, however long you live, man, it's nothing in comparison to Christ and to, to eternity. And I think about that and I'm like, man, if you were to get a string from that wall to that wall and put a needle on it and that needle represented your life, how big of a mindset or change you would, you would probably look at life. And so for me, I think, man, God, what's your response for me? What's my response in, in knowing your power? And I'm like, man, God, I know you want to bring people to our church. I know you want people to come to know you. Your word says it. Your word says that you, you desire that none should perish. So God, what's my response to that? It could be, well, well, it's not, that's not for me. That, that scripture is actually only for pastors. It's only for, for deacons, only for elders, only for guys who've been following Christ for, for 20 plus years. But I think of this girl, I'm like, man, after day one, she was out there. She was just telling everyone about Jesus. You know, when you're, you're a new Christian and you're, you're excited about Christ and you're telling everyone, people are like, hey, can you pass the ketchup? And you're like, sure, let me pass you the Jesus mustard. You try to find a way to sneak it. Okay, maybe not that. Um, but you try to find ways. And over the course of time, we, we kind of get comfortable. We live life. And man, my encouragement, my challenge would be, man, God's word is, is new. It's refreshing. As we read this, we say, man, God, you're powerful. And you show mercy after mercy after mercy. How do you want me to respond? You know, as our church, how we respond to our coworkers, our neighbors, and our marriage, how do we lead our wives? How do we, how do we love our family? How do we love our wives? How do we love our kids? How do we um, grow them? And so... As we saw this, this portion here of scripture, God's power and man's response, I would, I would say to you guys, and I ask myself, man, God, what is your response for me in this church, in this community? How do you want me to serve? How do you want me to respond to, to setting up and, and getting into Bible study and grabbing dudes and saying, come here, you're going to go to Bible study with me. How do you want me to respond in, in getting guys and saying, dude, you're on the wrong road? You're, you're headed to nothing, and your life is empty. You know, for me, I, I want God to use me more. And I think there's times where I get comfortable. I say, I just want to go home. I've worked a long day. I don't want to do this. You know, and the bottom line is, man, the gospel isn't always the most comfortable. And so that would be a question that I would say, man, it, it's, it's up to us to individually to answer. And so today, as we, as we get ready to close, we're going we're gonna to take communion. And I think this is a great time for you to reflect and say, God, where do, you, where do you want me? So if we can have the elements distributed. You know, God, where do you want me? And if you're here and you don't know Christ, man, this is a great time to grab someone. Grab me, grab one of the elders, grab guys that you are here and say, man, what does the Bible say about salvation? What does the Bible say about having this joy that, that, that I can have? Because, man, my life isn't, isn't all there. And so this is a great time.
And as we look at scripture, it says, I'll read in a bit. We'll give you guys time to pass those out. So what's our response? Heavenly Father, as we um, pass these elements out, God, the bread and the juice represents your blood. It represents your body. Jesus, we thank you so much for shedding that blood on the cross for us. Man, God, because we are not perfect. I am not perfect. Many times I think I have got wisdom and I've got strength. And Lord, at the end of the day, I'm just a, a follower of you. And God, I pray that you would help me. Help me to respond to what you want. What is my response, Lord? And God, I pray that you would speak to us, speak to me, and that we wouldn't look at it, and that I wouldn't look at it as, uh, I have to do this, but that we get to. God, we, we are so thankful for this church, and I'm so thankful for this country, God, that we're able to worship you publicly without fear of persecution and of people coming in and taking us to prison. God, we are, we are blessed. And God, while we're free to do that, Lord, let us take advantage of it. And so God, we thank you for this time of communion. And your word says, the Lord Jesus on the day Excuse me, on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread. And we'd given thanks. He broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So let's go ahead and take the bread.